Hey everyone, welcome to the Evaluator Podcast. Today we're going to talk about governance in Web3 gaming. And we have a very special guest. We have Matt Dine from EA, Terry Chung from 1KX Capital, and Tech Funk, aka Mr. Funk. Um, let's start with introductions. Tech, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. I think um, that's perfect. I, I don't exist in any company. I am just Mr. Funk Funk. Um, my, uh, just for those who don't know who I am, what I am, my background is actually in video games. So um, 10, 15 years ago, I started out on AAA gaming um, on Xbox uh, on the Fable team and um, kind of went on to uh, mobile gaming, uh, being technical director of CSR2. Uh, did a bit of time in um, Google before I came out here to Shanghai, uh, which is where I am now, and got into blockchain, um, which is actually four or five years ago. I started out in pretty much finance side of things, uh, working for a hedge fund out here planning the platform. And then recently, with the excitement around you know NFTs and GameFi, um, I've got myself back into gaming um, and back into um, you know combining blockchain, tokenomics, NFTs, and today as well, talking about DAOs uh, in the world of the gaming context. I am a developer, and I'm here also to I have to say learn a lot from you guys as well. But I do have strong opinion from a purely technical point of view. Awesome. And quick question: What were you doing uh, on the hedge fund? Uh, we were just helping this hedge fund out in Shanghai uh, to build out and design the DeFi trading platform, essentially. Um, so it was very, very exciting. You know, this was back in time when 2017, maybe before that, where ICOs were still allowed and crypto was really like, you know, going up the hype cycles. But then obviously um, a lot of things burst and China banned crypto outright. So that whole project just disappeared into nothing. It's a complete waste of time. But, you know, I survived. And here we are. Nice, very nice. Matt, do you want to go next? Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Matt Dion. I'm a product manager by training, currently working at EA on the mobile side. I also have some experience at companies like Jam City and Pocket Gems, but most of my career I've been on the mobile side of the games business. Uh, and for the last year or so, I've also been a writer and contributor for the folks at Novic, which is what has pulled me into the Web3 rabbit hole. And uh, not too long ago, wrote a big piece on DAOs and what what I sort of think DAOs will do in the games industry and how they'll change things. So I'm sure we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, very excited to be here and to learn from you all. Awesome. Terry, you want to go next? Yeah. Um, hey, everyone. I'm Terry, uh, 0x Ho on Twitter. Currently an analyst at 1KX, we're early stage VC fund. And I'm trying to sort of develop and be the internal like knowledge house for play to games, virtual worlds, et cetera. Um, well, my journey into crypto was through Axie Infinity, quite new to the space, but that was sort of like where I started. And that's sort of where I have the most interest in. Been writing a lot about games before and during um, my time at OnKX. And before that, used to study mathematics at university. Before that, um, worked a little bit in long, short equity and biomedical devices and a bit of stint in VC as well. Nice, very nice. Thanks for joining us again. Um, so let's start top down with governance in Web3 gaming. So a very open question. What should be able to govern by, <clears throat> sorry, token holders, and NFT holders, and what shouldn't? Matt, you want to start? Sure. I mean, I, I can talk about this from uh, a game developer's perspective, like having run live services and having worked on games that are still in development. I think it's, um, it's a difficult proposition to open up government governance to people who are not on the development side, um, simply because they don't have the full picture of, of what's going on. Um, I think there are a lot of concerns that players don't necessarily have exposure to around like how difficult a given feature is to build, what are the dependencies on features, um, you know, what things might break if we change one thing over here and want to do something else over there. Um, so there's just like a lot of behind the scenes stuff that, that players playing the game might not necessarily have any exposure. To. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of my starting point for these sort of discussions. Um, philosophically, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't say like, don't do it. Uh, that's definitely not what I'm saying. I, I think what I'm saying is you need to be careful and whatever it is that you are opening up to governance, you need to be comfortable relinquishing control of that because once it's open to the community, to the investors, stakeholders, what have you, there's no pulling that back really. Um, and you're sort of uh, obligated to go with whatever decision the community makes. Um, so 
you know, understanding what are the long-term effects of that is important before you go ahead and make a decision like that to open things up to the community. So that's kind of where I start from a philosophical. Um, yeah, I, if I can jump into that as well, just building on what Matt said. Um, I think you touched on a really great point, you know, which is the whole point of, you know, the original kind of thesis of web free is decentralization and owning your own things. And one of the great sentences, I think you said, is um, just losing control, right? If you're going to do this kind of stuff properly and, you know, you are going to go for, you know, giving the people a voice, giving them a piece of ownership, right? And giving them this kind of voting um, power. Uh, you do have to lose control as a developer. And I think a lot of the current, you know, um, development methods, especially, you know, the ones that I come from anyway, which is prevalent, is we're not used to this, right? We're, um, you know, we're used to having very tight design cycles. We're designing things, you know, to a long roadmap. And we, you know, we have a lot of hidden knowledge um, that no one really knows about. Um, so, you know, when it comes to these kind of things, I feel like a, a certain set of gaming companies are probably better suited to this, which are essentially any company of U heavy UGC, where they're already giving up a lot of um, control anyway to how people kind of interact with their platforms. Um, but yeah, uh, totally understand where Matt's coming from. You know, a lot of this stuff, you know, especially because it's, you know, connected with blockchain contracts and you can't really take things back, you, you really need to prepare for this kind of thing to happen. Otherwise, um, you lose control too much and then your whole kind of pl platform falls apart. I, I guess on that note, just to add, um, like, I absolutely agree with what Tak and Matt said. I do think, though, that there seems to be, like, as always, a spectrum for decentralization. Like, there have already been examples, right? Like, way back in the 80s, um, or even, like, MMORPGs in the early days. I think, like, RuneScape is a good example, where there is some sort of degree of freedom to the players that doesn't necessarily too constrain the ability of the developers to act in their own accord. Like, in RuneScape, for example, like, uh, like every significant content update has to be voted on by the player base. And only if it passes with the plurality of the vote does it get implemented. But then the origination of the content doesn't come from the players themselves. It comes normally from the developers. But of course, that itself is also an iterative cycle where they do like dev notes and then try to crawl like Reddit forums to find what people might be interested in. And then that feeds then into sort of these polls, which then get passed and then which then get implemented in the game. Like this is something like, I guess, if there's a fully decentralized game where like users generate everything, that sounds kind of like, quite crazy to a lot of game developers and i guess like there's there's a lot of in the middle uh, yeah right right and and especially like um you know uh, sorry about jumping all over the place you know it's not it's i've done a podcast for a long time right um is yeah you're absolutely right you know there's there is this middle ground and the thing that interests me you know um because you know a lot of people say hey look you know um why why do you need to do any of this right because you you've done it already like you said in runescape this was already done using forums and you know kind of informal posts like what was what's blockchain or you know smart contracts and actual dao is going to bring to this right and i think that sits really tightly with how the technology is implemented so in my brain like one of the big benefits of having so-called you know actually truly autonomous uh, contracts right is that we can actually link it into the game itself right so it's it's not really a separate kind of forum where, you know, things get discussed and polls get voted on, and then someone in the developer side kind of mashes this thing together. It really is integrated. So people are voting with tokens, hopefully, you know, using a decent kind of voting structure, you know, where people are buying NFTs that give them, you know, permissions to kind of do certain things. And then having that automatically kind of feed into the existing game systems directly. I think that's more interesting to me uh, from a technical point of view. Um, but obviously, that's also quite scary. You know, I, I can't imagine anyone, you know, be a developer now in the middle of a crunch period. Uh, you know, crunch does happen, unfortunately, like being happy about what we just said. So uh, my, my take from, from your conversation is that um, there is a like development stage, pre-launch development stage for game developers. And then there's an ongoing um, development stage it could be for live ops or it could be for different iterations. And ideally, you would want to get as much as data, as much as inputs endpoints from users because you want to optimize their experience and build something that they would want um at at one what point do you think the users players etc should be able to have a voice over these decisions i think that again is a philosophical decision on how much you want to decentralize um and it also has to do i think with your ambitions as a project. Um, are you just looking to make a, a smaller scale indie game or are you looking to build you know, a lasting? Um, I think if you're okay with something that is smaller in nature, um, 
then by all means, like open it up to governance votes throughout development and then on into live service. I think that it's absolutely possible to do it that way. It's definitely doing it on hard mode, I think, but uh, it's possible. I, I won't say it's, it's not possible for sure. But if you want to do something that is, you know, at the scale that like a AAA game publisher is operating at or something like that, um, I think it's a little bit riskier to bring in governance votes in, say, like pre-production or production like before the game is live. Because, you know, at those phases, you're typically considering factors like what is the market for our game? You know, who are the other competitors in our genre, in our space, on our platform that we need to be concerned about? What uh, What are the defining characteristics of our game going to be from like a unique sales point? Uh, position or like, you know, are we, are we going to have some design innovations? Are we going to have some unique monetization systems? Are we going to have this, you know, in-depth progression system? What have you? You can go down all sorts of different paths depending on the genre that you're going after or the type of player that you're interested in, in targeting. And there's a lot of sort of like, I guess, less less development and more business-oriented conversations that happen at that stage that, you know, you can certainly bring the community in on that too, I think it's just like how much information do you want to share with um, people who may not be as invested in the development of the game? And, um, you know, even if you share that information, how aligned do you expect them to be on governance votes um, if we all have the same set? I think that depends on your community and, you know, how much they know about the games industry and the market and the genre that you're going after. But, um, you know, I'm, all, I'm always going to hedge and say, like, anything's possible. We can certainly try it. Everything is still early, so I'm not going to say don't do it. Uh, but, like, these are kind of the risks that come to my mind as someone who works at a large gaming company um, that uh, has worked on games in development and that have also been. I mean, I mean, it's, it's quite funny, right? Um, you know, uh, I've worked in big and small companies as well. Um, you know, uh, the first one being Lionhead. And I, I would always say more chaos, the better, but people generally don't agree with me. Uh it's kind of funny because if you think about DAOs and polls, right, it's, it's kind of like almost if you can open it up to kind of opinions on, you know, your existing kind of really bought in customers, right? It's, it's like finding out what they really want. And it's kind of helpful in that stage of pre-production, if, if that makes sense. Um, or even like concept stage, right, where you kind of really throwing things out there and say, hey, guys, you know, like we could have 1,700, you know, robots or they could be fish, right? Maybe not those two choices. You know, they might not be the best ones, but, you know, that kind of interest me um I, I see what you mean when it's almost like when the game is in production um it's harder for them to have meaningful meaningful actions or votes on kind of you know the intricacies of the gameplay because everything's been everything's been set and the kind of features take a long time to develop so for me it's kind of like you know you can really throw the chaos out in the beginning and kind of let that settle into something reasonable um and another thought i had um you know just kind of kind of riffing off on this is you can even gamify votes like depending on what kind of game you're making right um i had i had this like crazy idea you know i don't know if you guys play interactive theater you know you go to these kind of um real life kind of you know areas where they're actors kind of hanging out you can make a really interactive theater game where everyone's kind of voting on their own narrative or something crazy like that like if you really gamify daos maybe there's something interesting there i don't know but um yeah some ideas that i had literally just thought of <laughs> that's awesome but but yeah i just wanted to add um like i obviously just to put a caveat here i don't have the clarity that talk and matt have because i haven't been part of the development process but so this is just context that i have just from reading like research talking to people but my understanding is that even in the early stages pre-production as talk said there is a form of like de facto governance processes that happen through putting out cinematic trailers like reading the forums and like looking at the responses that people have and then taking that into account in developing the game like that is a form of governance right it doesn't necessarily have to be like explicit casts of vote at that moment and then the other thing i wanted to say is in terms of deciding like why we need governance specifically for web3 games um Perhaps like there is a, as you guys said, there is like a huge terrain of different things, right? And and it's only important for a very small subset of people. But when you have like large virtual worlds and economies where people own stuff, I guess at the end stages, it's very important for them to have some sort of safety that what they own is going to be intact and not be sort of interfered with artificially and or arbitrarily by some sort of like godlike power. And, and so... Like that seems to be why it's important, like along with the ethos of Web3. 
I think you, you raised some really interesting points there. Um, uh, so I guess I'll take the, the first one, which is about like sort of existing forms of quasi governance in like doing user research testing and bringing players in early to understand uh, what it is that they want in a new game. There's absolutely merit to that. And that's something that happens at all sorts of gaming companies. So definitely like endorse that suggestion. Um, however, I think the one caveat there is sort of the famous you know, Henry Ford quote, like, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would ask for a faster horse. Um, you know, so so there's a there's a spectrum there, of course. Um, and then on the point around like the sort of end game, when we have these sort of metaverse experiences and people have financial interest in the way that a game is set up. I think that's where governance can be quite powerful and quite important but it raises a whole another set of issues, which is kind of paying for influence um, and the influence of like your bankroll on your ability to change governance decisions, um, which may or may not be in the best interests of the broader player base or community of you know stakeholders. So um, again, it's not to say don't do it. It's just like a different set of problems and you're shifting the, the questions and direction. But I think there's ways to address that too. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean. I think like Terry touched on a really interesting point. Um, I think up up to that part, we've been talking more about like user um, intel from Web two games or Web three games, more about like user research, what they want, what they don't want. Um, but I think when you think about Web three, and now I think things are going to get a bit more excited. Like let's think about X Infinity. In X Infinity, you have um, managers, right? Guilds. They own a lot of Axie and they earn a lot of SLPs. So their primary motivations are for, um, you know, Axie prices and SLP prices. Then on the other hand, you have scholars. Scholars don't own any Axies. They just care about how much SLP they earn per day. You know, they're relatively more mercenary. If they don't like the earnings, they can just leave to another game. They don't, they don't have skin in the game. And then you have the governance token holders, which can be VCs, retail investors, you know, some are VCs who are like locked by nature, their tokens are vested. So maybe they might think more longer term or you have retail investors who are planning to maybe sell the token in two weeks, in two months. Um, so if you allow them to vote on say Axie's economy right now, how the changes should be, like what should the voting power be based on? Should it be based on NFTs, tokens, um, how long they hold the tokens, um, and what should they be allowed to vote on what what they shouldn't be? And I know there's a lot to unpack here, but I just wanted to throw that out there. I can take a stab at this. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting topic, and my sense is that there is no best practice uh, established yet. I, just listening to your question, my immediate response is like, you probably want to separate out voting power from financial power. Um, I can see why people who have invested like venture capitalists, for example, um, might feel differently, like they're sort of, you know, kickstarting the business and they should be rewarded for that. So that makes sense to me. Um, but as a, a gamer first, like my first reaction is like, I don't want people paying for, you know, influence over the direction of a game. I think maybe that's a factor, but I like the idea of seniority. I like the idea of having a separate reputational token um, that either influences the amount of you know, governance power you have or is just a, a separate input entirely. Um, to me, that seems more palatable for a diverse community of stakeholders who have varying amounts of skin in the game. Yeah, I think this is like really kind of difficult to answer because like Axie will probably say this themselves right there. Everything they're doing now is learning, right? And they're, the, they're in the firing line, essentially, of everything. They're kind of brave of them and kind of difficult as well because, you know, they're not always going to succeed. Um, this DAO, you know, like governance question, you know, voting is kind of impossible to answer right now. But I would say something that's for sure is, in my opinion, you know, uh, people with skin in the game um, and locked skin in the game should possibly have a higher say. Um, and that includes people that are on the floor, right? You know, when I say on the floor, it's like the um, the minions, the, you know, the, the little guys, right? They may not pay a lot, but they, the the highest, you know, like the, you know, the key players, like, you know, the influencers, if you like, at the bottom floor, they should also have a huge say, right? Because they're keeping, you know, a lot of um, engagement in the platform. Maybe they 
don't just do it for themselves. They're doing it in part of a huge guild or team. Um, and then you have the whole point of all this voting stuff, right? What, what, you know, what you're trying to do, right, is you're trying to keep a huge ecosystem going, right, in the best way possible for everyone. And you're trying to do it without having any actors kind of, you know, ruin it essentially and run away with the money, right? Uh, we can ignore the other one, which is to destroy the whole, the whole setup. You know, because I feel like that's not very useful to anyone. Maybe there are some horrible hackers out there who just want to destroy a game. But the really big one, you know, is really you don't want someone to be having so much power in the vote that they can take away the rewards, which is the money. Right. And I feel like people with skin in the game who are locked into it will make more intelligent voting um, than if you just kind of let everyone go at it like crazy. That's how I feel. I, I know Terry probably has not much more to say with his um, actual thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, I agree with both of you guys. Like, this is probably the impossible problem, like, as in it's quite literally impossible to solve. Like, it's kind of like, how do you construct an optimal government where people have a say in the economy when there's all a bunch of conflicting interests? Like, like it's probably impossible. But I guess, like, another way, like, I guess one way I actually could think about it is you could think about, like, the game as as a product and then the platform as sort of the, like, governable ecosystem, right? That's sort of how DeFi has done it. Um, like you would govern the Ronin chain and whatever parameters that come with it. And then, you know, it's sort of effects will trickle down into the different subsets of the Axie ecosystem. Like, I'm not sure. Like, there's probably a solution, but it's quite hard to see. And, and on that note of Matt saying how it's probably not good for people to pay for influence, I think there's probably ways for you to correlate um, like your voting power to some sort of like skill or time in the game like a good example would be like to correlate with your mmr or to correlate with your levels like you could easily store that as some sort of parameter on the blockchain like you could store it as a level into your nft character it would cost a bit of gas but it's on ronin it's not that expensive and then if you could correlate like off-chain voting to that then the only thing like you would encounter several issues with like civil resistance and botting but if you like mathematically model that out under certain parameters of like a percentage of catching a bot or like the cost of like gas cost of leveling up or like the cost of actually like getting to that skill then like it's possible to model out some sort of reputation-based voting that is more plutocracy resistant yeah um so the, the way i think about for example players in the play to earn games is the way i segment them is like you have managers slash skills on one hand um, you have scholars and you have, say, players who play the game for fun. You know, they might own only three axes, just an axe team, and they just play it because they genuinely enjoy playing the game. And, like, change it from Axie Infinity, think about any other game, but this is, like, how I think about it. And if you give more voting power to, say, managers or guilds just because they own more axes, um, would you be, like... Is there a chance that you might discourage the like fun to play players from playing the game or um, engaging more? Like, would you be basically killing their LTV and just um, yeah? What do you guys think about that? I mean, um, I'm gonna jump in here. I don't, I don't think so. Like, um, if you have this kind of bunch of people who are playing the game because it's fun, right? Um, it re you know, let me just qualify that. In a way, it depends on what they vote for, right? You know, if these people are voting for balancing economy, you know, and they kind of got their act together, essentially, right? They're not going to ruin it. If you can kind of separate whatever they're voting on to be away from whatever these guys who are playing it for fun care about, then to me, that is essentially what developers do now anyway with um, kind of, you know, traditional gaming, like updates, right? That rebalance the game, right? You know, there's this, you know, Call of Duty, you know, everyone plays that game. You know, they don't have a vote for any of this, but the developer can update and kind of tank certain bad weapons or, you know, uh, rebalance out, you know, a bunch of stats, right? Um, to me, if, if from what you're saying, that scenario, if you can really separate out the people who just play the game for fun, I mean, I don't see that as a big problem. Yeah, I, I guess for, for, for what they vote, I agree with you. Like, probably for those stuff, it wouldn't be a problem. I was thinking more of like, um, stuff that's relating to more of the economy, maybe um, NFTs falling down in value, or or like you know um, how the Web3 games monetize is through say selling items or skins, and they create this um, rarity feeling. They create this like they have these gachas that make people spend and buy. Um, so you know if you change some elements some inputs that maybe the game developers experience game developers don't want you to change because that might um change the player behavior 
but actually in the short term, it might make guild slash managers higher returns. So that's how I'm like thinking. And and I, I can't give you like practical examples because like right now it's all abstract. So I was just trying to ask that. In some ways, it's it's kind of analogous to like having different voting incentives for like landowners versus workers, right? Like if you if you're if you own a bunch of axes, you have digital property in this game. And if you have a bunch of scholars, they're just the laborers in this analogy. Um, and so there's, you know, there's real parallels there to real world governance. And I think, um, you know, ultimately like people have different, people have different incentives and and they're gonna be aligned differently in, in these scenarios, whether we're talking about a game, or we're talking about real world voting. Right, but that's exactly, I mean, you know, in your instance, I think it really depends on the intelligence of the people voting, right? If they're in it for the short, the short, you know, uh, flip, you know, get some money quick, and you know, and they've, they've been, you know, some through some mechanism in the blockchain, you know, how how they kind of have their voting power kind of connected, or however much they invested. If there's a long-term skin in the game, right, they'd be shooting themselves in the foot. So in theory, this kind of like weird self-balancing system is if they choose to do this, right, then they're stupid because then people stop playing the game, right, and they'll just tank the whole the whole thing. So, you know, if they do that, then they shouldn't really. And then, you know, you don't get a scenario where it's happening. In theory, it should be self-balancing. Obviously, they're going to be bad actors. And I think it's really kind of, can you put in these mechanisms to stop this kind of um, bad acting and also kind of educate them so they don't make these kind of crazy votes by themselves and go, hey, look, you know, we take out all the money now and then there'll be nothing left afterwards. Yeah, just on that note, like, yeah, I think it's impossible to like balance those different um, sort of incentive structures. And like it's my opinion that Axie should not give economic reins to the players or the guilds or whatnot. Like I'm a big fan of more so like the Eve Online model, where there is like heightened transparency of the decision making process, but an educated sort of like centralized decision maker in terms of the economy. And, and they don't exist necessarily through this form of like a like direct voting. Like it's not a direct democracy on on the economy. And I, I, I just don't really see a reason why we have to in, reinvent like the wheel, right? Like it's not like we get to directly vote for like what our central bankers do. And, and I think there's probably a reason for that, right? And, and so, yeah, like the EVE model, like I'm a big fan. The CSM uh, gives like sort of grassroots feedback to the direct team. Not that they listen apparently, but um there's increased like extreme data transparency. There is like a group of experts that do this all day, you know, and you can go on the Eve online website and look at their monthly economic reports. You can see sort of like, you know, the value of ISK um, and the value of minerals, et cetera, like month by month. And I think that's probably the way that a lot of these economies are going to develop. Can you explain the Eve online model in, in more depth? Yeah, sure. So the way Eve online does governance is it's through a council uh, method. It's kind of similar to Alluvium. So um, like people vote for council members, I believe it's 10, I want to say, and they have a tenure of one year, they get paid uh, and they also get invited to a quite nice conference in Iceland every year with the developing team. So it's quite nice. And uh, their job is basically to represent the community. Uh, it's to be a direct conduit to the developers, you know, aggregate data um, and then relay that onto the developers. I don't know whether the developers take that or not. It's you know up to their choice ultimately. And uh, I think in the most recent years, there's been a lot of governance um, sort of Reddit posts about like how the CC CCP is not listening, et cetera. Um, and then on the economic side, what they do is if you go on their website, they publish monthly economic reports uh, with very, very detailed sort of sinks and faucets. They detail like the price of ISK versus like, like core price inflation. And, and they have like 20, 30 different charts that you can look at, right? And these are sort of there to like help the community understand what the hell is happening, rationale behind decisions, you know, build legitimacy, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, um, you know, Terry's actually right, you know, absolutely right in saying it's very complicated. There's a lot of data, right? Not every, not everyone's going to understand what the hell's going on and not everyone's going to be interested. So, you know, having that direct voting, it's really kind of dangerous, right? You know, you're kind of like getting these raw, you're exposing the raw wires in this huge machine and then you're letting people just kind of like change the voltage or whatever directly whereas that like, you should be doing exactly what terry's saying having some kind of interface or expert interface you know the panel that tells you what the hell's going on and then people can aggregate votes and it is you know scarily like real life you know like um you're trying to replicate this mad economy just yeah yeah, I, I, yeah it's almost exactly like real life and i guess that's the scary part because 
you know, I, sometimes real life governance is not fun and voting in real life and economic management is not fun. And is there a necessity for us to bake these into like what is fun for us? But then on the other end, like, do we need to protect the assets that we have on our virtual worlds and sort of like, you know, the the autonomy of virtual lives? Like, do we need to protect those? Like, it's it's a difficult decision, I think. And especially I think this is something like a question I want to pose to the group. It, it's It's especially difficult because exit in virtual worlds is so easy. Like, it's not like I can get up and move from Korea to the U.S. and gain a citizenship tomorrow. But like I can leave Eve anytime and start playing RuneScape. And so like, is it that important for us to think th this deeply about these issues? Like I I'm very conflicted sometimes. I think, sorry, I'm always jumping in here. I'm very rude, sorry. Uh, but you know, that's, I think that's part of the um, point of Web3, right? You know, the NFTs and the value of ownership, it's, it's actually not easy to run away, right? If you've kind of sunk in money and you've, you know, you, you really spend time on these um, characters or whatever kind of NFTs and they kind of accrued your experience on blockchain, like, you know, forever. Um, it is not easy to run away to another thing unless you know, interoperability becomes possible suddenly. Um, so, you know, I would argue that's why, you know, it's so interesting to have these kind of systems baked into the web free um, games. As a so um, just very quickly, I don't know if you guys know this DeFi platform called Curve. It's a decentralized change. Um, they have a DAO. It's, it's similar to Uniswap. And the idea there is that if you want to vote, you have to stake your token. And the, the longer you stake it, the more voting power you get. And the staking starts from like one year. There's a two-year option, three-year and four-year option. So I think maybe this can, to some extent, solve this problem that Terry just mentioned. And uh, one more thing on uh, what, what Terry said about like the council. Like, don't you think there could be just like in real life, there there's a possibility that we might have corruption when you have like a small number of people representing a bigger amount of people um, and how often like those people are changed and voted on and how are they accountable? Yeah, I guess um, like number one, I think the best part about what they're here is that all their actions will be transparent, like how they voted, uh, whether you want to obfuscate that or not, like that's your choice. But like how they voted, one, like two, their communications with the community, like three, ideally their communications with the team, and then four, sort of the results that come out of all their decisions. Like those are all um, visible. So I think it's probably going to be not as easy to be corrupt, but definitely um, existing there. Uh, how do you sort of compensate those people and, and balance those actions? Like I think that's like a field of like DAO compensation that hasn't really been explored. Like maybe you could like do it by some sort of right like um like incentive based mechanism like if according to this like uh like this proposal like you achieve some sort of like milestone then you could have extra incentives there but i i, I don't know like yeah I, I don't think that has been really explored yet i think i kind of veered off topic i personally think it's part of the game like this is it like if you're gonna design a dao into your system this is just part of the game if you want to try and be corrupt then you you can try and be corrupt right you know if you're gonna have a game let's say um because i you know I, i'm consulting for a fair bunch of startups you know doing blockchain gaming um if you're gonna give them that power um then depending on um you know uh, how big the audience is i think that's really important because if it's a very small audience you kind of doesn't really make sense almost but you know, if you have a sizable audience, then that is part of the game. That is what Eve Online has to deal with. You know, I don't think there's anyone that's actually stopping that. It's just that they've designed the economy, they designed the voting system so that you know you can't do too much damage. But then if people do collude and kind of like scheme behind each other's back, they've done it many, many times, I'm sure. You know, I've I've read the stories. I've read the stories on Eurogamer, but I've never played that game because it looks scary and there's too many Excel worksheets I'd already deal with. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, it's definitely part of the fun. I think um you know, going back to the, the earlier question around, like, even if there is all this information available for players and stakeholders to make a decision, will they care or will they process all this complicated data um, to come to the best decision for the community or for their interests? Um, I, I think no, uh, most people will not take the time, you know, process all of that. Um, and to go to tie that back to the point of, you know, potential for corruption. Like, I think that even if the blockchain is transparent, there are ways to kind of obfuscate things. Most people are not gonna go into Etherscan and look at like transaction history. Like, it's great that that exists and that you can, you know, pull that thread and find out where things are moving around. But I mean, you could make an analogy to, 
you know, financial statements in the real world, like it's, it's obviously not as transparent and as real time as blockchain transactions. But like, if you want to know what someone is doing with their, their company's money, like there are ways to find that out publicly um, or, you know, do investigations. And, you know, most people are not going to do that digging on their own. And that's why it's important to have experts or representatives who can parse through that information for you and, you know, distill it down into actionable, um, you know, pieces of information. Okay, here's what's happening. We need a yes or no vote on this. And maybe, um, you know, just kind of extrapolating into the future, maybe this leads to something like uh, unions for players in a specific game, which might be a DAO in and of itself. I don't know, but, um, you know, groups of, of play, uh, groups that represent um, interests of a certain set of stakeholders, whether they're scholars or they're what have you. Um, just very quickly, um, the point is blockchain itself is designed in such a way, you know, the voting and the civil attacks that, you know, it's accepted that corruption is kind of part of the system and they've designed it in such a way to kind of prevent that or try to, right? Um, and it is still susceptible to it. Um, I can also imagine, especially when you say, you know, who are these experts? Who has the time to kind of faff around and kind of work out all these graphs? Hey, you know, maybe it becomes AI's job, you know, hey, we can like have these like automatic avatars, fake tech, you know, just like working everything out and giving any everyone beneficial benefits to their lives okay interesting um there you've done some work previous like you did some research on the previous games and tried to learn from their mistakes and governance what were the lessons learned what 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 was what is your take from those that research sure i guess the most important take is that it's all been done before i'm sure you guys like matt and tag you guys are much more familiar with this but like Virtual worlds slash games that are governed and owned with open economies by their players, like that's existed, I think, since the 1980s. Uh, the earliest instance I could find was a, something called Lambda Moo. Um, like these are basically like text-based RPGs. So when you log on to, to like the world, you get a description of the text, like, hey, you are in this house, et cetera, et cetera. And you get to sort of like make items. It's kind of like Second Life, but text-based, right? And then after that, there was Second Life and then, you know, a little bit of RuneScape. Uh, you know, and there were all these sort of like uh, like council models like Eve and then WoW recently adopted that as well. So historically speaking, like the number one important thing I want to mention is that it's, it's it's been done before. The second thing um, is that the biggest problem out of previous virtual world slash game governance has arisen from the fact that only the founders and the sort of devs have the ability to alter the code, right? Like, and because that's the fact, like, it's hard for you to delegate authority. Like, there is no court. There is no, like, it's like you exist in a world where there's no court. There's no police force. There's only, like, gods. And so, <laughs> and so, like, if you violate any TOS or if you violate any sort of consumer agreement, then it's easy for you to get persecuted. It's like you violated the laws of nature. You're gone. But the problem is if you, like, have sort of social conflicts that don't lie with outside the bounds of those sort of, like, natural laws then there's no enforcement ability on the part of the gods like on you so the largest issue in these past virtual worlds they've actually been like the social conflict like what happens if like one example i read was like uh, my land in second life is not selling because my neighbor has a nazi flag on their land and now i'm angry but what do i do because this is not like expressly prohibited in in the terms of terms of service and so the way a lot of the games have addressed this is number one is the arbitration system. Uh, this is when this is done in Lambda Moo, where there's a community of volunteers, and whenever someone submits a like sort of uh, like conflict against another person, like a civil suit, like it goes randomly through the arbitration system and picks one person to arbitrate. Now this is really really unpopular because of uh, you know people say it was really really corrupt um people really didn't like it also the arbitration system was designed so that it couldn't influence external parties or it couldn't create like common law right so there were a lot of redundancies there were people gaming the system and people didn't like it and it was kind of shut down uh the other one that i've seen is sort of second life um where they had these organic institutions that rose up uh from the players need this demand and that was things like blacklisting certain bad actors on like the commerce forums like hey like these guys they would enter into agreement and they wouldn't pay up okay let's blacklist them problem was of course like you can re-log in with a different account right but then that violates tos and then now the gods can and so those are kind of like the two so like main takeaway number one is uh the social aspect has been the predominant issues 
And the number two has been like, there is no real way to answer. There's no real scalable and and like correct and slash like good way that's ever been done to sort of like um, absolve these socialists. What's the best example you've seen so far? Yeah, I, I guess the arbitration system was like one that at least worked for, I think, two years before they had to shut it down because it was just getting absolutely chaotic. And then, yeah, I think the the sort of EVE Online system of using social norms and, and using like internal institutions, I, I th- wait, my bad, the second life method of using that, I think that probably worked well. But generally speaking, like my prescription would be to have like a, a strong consumer agreement, like a rules page and TOS as like a means to govern a lot of like the social issues. And then if you have like, and then you can like progressively figure out what to do with like the fringe cases, right? It's like a housing. So you have to meet every month to talk about whether the lights are brightened in the hallway. Exactly. Would you, Terry, would you apply like what uh, Second Life is doing to say Sandbox? I mean, it, it's quite like the similarities are are really like strong. And every time I hear someone about like, oh, like someone set up a stall in the metaverse, you know, it reminds me like I go back and read the exact same article from like 2004 where, you know, like some fashion brand sent up like a store in Second Life and now like the world was going to change. Like, I, I think it's important for us to like keep that in mind that it's been done and like this time it's different because of XYZ. But yeah, like I think it's very easy to port that model over and, and I don't know what type of improvement you might have. I think the one good thing is that uh yeah yeah i'm not entirely sure i think i'd have to look deeper into that i mean i i would say because you know there are lots of daos that are not just in games obviously right they they're set up to buy stuff buy nft there's a fashion DAO that i follow quite a lot because i'm actually kind of working in a fashion startup um but yeah you know everything terry said about these existing systems that have already been done you know they should be using them and they should be studying them you know you know, as a, even as a basis, as a reference, right? You know, this is not hard. Um, if they, they've done all the hard work already, as it were. And we shouldn't, you know, from my p- point of view as a kind of technologist, um, I want to find the exciting stuff that this stuff is supposed to enable, right? And I don't want to revisit boring problems again and again. Um, social problems in these voting kind of communities, uh, they're very difficult to solve via tech, you know, precisely because they're social issues, right? And, you know, not everything can be just magicked away by a smart contract. But that's why we should start from a very high level, um, a, a high standard from everything that we've already learned. You know, um, and kind of from that point on, really dig into what this tech can actually enable, uh, do the scary kind of crazy stuff that, you know, I kind of might, be, might have talked about earlier on. It you know, might sound stupid, but if we know that we've kind of put in these safety systems that we've kind of battle tested, even if not perfect, then I feel like we can actually explore the real excitement, you know, what a DAO could do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree there. I just wanted to butt in and say, like, it's probably most important to say, like, okay, this is a copy or like this is similar. Now, like, what's different from first principles? Like, now, if you add crypto, if you add NFTs, if you add ownership, if you add open markets, like, what's different, right? And I, and I think there's a lot to say there, but I think that's the way you should think about it. And my gut feeling is there is lots of unexplored stuff. I mean, you know, you can talk to a lot of game designers, um, you know, on our Discord as well. You know, some will say this has all been done, you know, and there's nothing new, you know, you're just going to go through the same stuff again. But I fundamentally think, hopefully, and I'm quite hopeful, you know, with the connection of everything Web3, right? NFTs, smart contracts, DeFi, GameFi, the fact that there's a lot of systems online all operating on this one blockchain database, as it were, right? Interoperability, people thinking different ways. I'm hoping that we will get something new, but I think we should start from somewhere really high and not redo these problems again because, you know, they could be quite boring. But Matt, sorry to to interject, but just one thing, like just on a very, very surface level, one of the biggest problems in Second Life was that like it was hard to enforce um, like commercial contracts. And so there was a limit on the amount of commerce that was being done in in the system because, you know, like there were no contracts Like you just had to trust the other party. But, you know, like that's the first thing to go. Right. That's perhaps going to unlock much more. Like that's going to increase the GDP of whatever virtual world they have. If you just copy and paste Second Life, assuming they add smart contracts. It, it's a difficult proposition if you're operating the game um, because, you know, certain things like IP infringement, um, you want to be able to shut that down right away rather than putting it up to a vote and making, you know, going through this whole uh, bureaucracy process that kind of slows things down. Same thing for the the earlier example, like if there's hate speech in your game, that's not something that really should be like put up to a vote for like, do we allow this or not? I mean, you might have like free speech maximalists who disagree, but like my point of view is like, if there's a Nazi flag in the game, we should take it out immediately and not wait for a vote. And so, you know, things like uh, IP infringement, uh, 
while not the same thing, like, you know, you may be inhibiting commerce uh, overall, but like legal compliance could bring your commerce to zero, uh, you know, running afoul of regulation. So there, I think there needs to be this, like, as you put it, Terry, like God mode, um, you know, whether it's the game developers or some other party who can step in in these sort of situations. And, and you know, maybe the solution is like um, the terms of service or the extent of God mode is altered through governance. And maybe we decide like hate speech, okay, you know, you don't need to put it to a vote. We're gonna just shut that down right away. But something that's like a little bit more gray area, maybe we put that to a vote and we can set precedent that way. And then if we as a community agree that this is what we wanna do, that becomes parts of the terms of service. And then in the future, it can be shut down more. Uh, just ideas, but like, this, these are the things that scare me as a game developer. If it's like, oh, I gotta put this through a vote and like, this is an urgent issue. It's really affecting a lot of players. We don't have time for that necessarily. So this yeah, this is where mine goes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like like a constitution, right? Like. Well, I mean, my take from this conversation is that it's pretty similar to the real life problems that politicians are trying to solve. Um, what would be your advice to any game developers or DAOs listening to this conversation? What should they do? What should they study? Matt, what do you think? I love the idea of progressive decentralization. Um, this has been put forth by a few people. Basically, you're starting small and expanding. Like, start with decentralizing something that you're confident in relinquishing control of, you're confident it's not gonna have massive knock-on impacts to your, you know, let's say your game economy or the way that your game works or what have you. Uh, and then as you start to prove things out, you become more confident in the decisions that the community is making and the way that decision-making is happening. Progressively, you are decentralizing more and more of your organization until you achieve whatever your desire, desired level of decentralization is. So. That philosophically, I tend to agree with. Like, I think that's a good approach. Uh, should I go next? Um, yeah, I mean, echoing a little bit, Matt. Yeah, I, I would come from the angle, like you said, the really key words for me are how comfortable are you of losing control for this certain bit of your design or game, right? And, um, you know, if you're not comfortable with doing that, which most game studios are not, then kind of start small. Um, in a lot of ways, um, you know, the way things are going with Web3, everyone has a Discord now, right? And it's almost like, hey, you know, if you're going to do a DAO at the most gentle kind of, you know, level, maybe you want to kind of take some of those channels that people have like discussions and pose on and kind of put a DAO in front of that. Um, and the second thing I recommend, you know, um, from these companies that want to do a DAO is really, really think hard about who you're giving your votes to. Um, you know, that includes investors and that includes, you know, um, especially how much you know skin they keep in the game like the vesting schedule essentially you know to kind of be able to make these decisions um you know with a long-term uh plan in their heads as opposed to kind of um flipping and knowing that you know you you may give votes to someone through tokens today but tomorrow they might sell that token to someone else who has a completely different set of interests and incentive and um, it's very difficult to predict where that might go so it's again it comes back to relinquishing control and being comfortable with uncertainty yeah and just just echoing what these two guys said like who you give your vote to and what you allow them to vote on is really 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 important and just from like the other side of the table like as a player like, i don't want to vote on like a gazillion things either right i just want to like go on vote for my representative or vote for like a couple things i care about and then read about dev journals and you know look at the economy sometimes so i can you know flip some logs like i, I don't really want to go through that governance overhead and so like, I probably don't think that's a good idea either. I think I think in the best case scenario, like for me as a player, what I would love is some form of participation. Like I have an RuneScape or an EVA line uh, through some sort of governance mechanism in certain like measures. And then, you know, like, like uh, a TOS that cares about me, right? Like, um, like, a, like a God TOS constitution that like lo is looking out for my interest, but like ideally a game that's open source as well. So if they fuck up in a way that like is kind of irreparable, it's kind of just like irreparable. Um, then like I can just move on to another server, right? I can move on to like some other iteration of the game. Like as a player, that, that is at least what I would want. You should vote for my AI, which will do all those things for you and give you benefit, I promise. So, so now that all these token holders, voters are on blockchain, you know their contract address, don't you think bribing them would be much easier and meaning that you like bribing them so that um they vote for a proposal that you propose 
so that you incentivize them to vote on something specific. I mean, in theory, this goes back to the transparency conversation. Like if someone is handing out bribes, it should be pretty obvious to track it down. And then it just comes down to like getting people to care that that's a thing that's happening um, and, uh, you know, raising a, an uproar about it. Um, I don't, you know, to, to talk's earlier points, like, I don't know that there's much we can do about that unless it's explicitly prohibited, right? Yeah, totally. I think it's part of the game. Um, like you said, it might be tracked on the blockchain. You can see it. That's great. Good for you. But I can go to your house and give you cash, right? You can't see that, right? So, you know, I think, I think it's all part of the game. I think a lot of people kind of pretend that it's not there. Um, they pretend that everything can be solved by the tech, but, you know, you have to think about, you know, a much higher level kind of non-tech related social game design. And just on that note, like, I think there's a lot of people who are super excited to play like the meta game. They, they love being like game politicians like they love like guilds running guilds they love like like fleet commanders i guess like they're good examples and i'm very excited to see like what those people end up doing awesome and last question what do you think about guilds role in this game politics i think it's uh it potentially lo- quite large um and really interesting um guilds with a lot of members uh i think have a lot of influence um not only are they sort of representing a specific point of view with regards to any governance um, changes that you might be proposing in your title. But they're also kind of um, like a social proof for your game. So if you're able to attract YGG to your game, that's like, well, this is a legit game. Like, you know, there are real guilds that believe in this game, that are investing in this game, and maybe we should go check it out too. So it's it's um, it's social proof, and it's almost a a form of user acquisition, um, like getting new players into your game because they see that these guilds are participating. I think they can be quite powerful. Um, I love guilds. I think, you know, they contribute to the whole web free economy. You know, the more guilds, the better. The games themselves right now are quite limited. So the guilds only do certain things like they farm stuff or, you know, they fight the battles. But as games get more um, kind of rich, I hope that, you know, there's all sorts of different guilds who collaborate with each other, maybe compete with each other, maybe over even across different games. Um, like Terry was saying, uh, or Matt, um, you know, all the stuff that happens behind the scenes, you know, people love playing Fleet Commander, Housing Association lead, you know, um, you know, for me, that's great. I love guilds, you know, the more the better. Yeah, yeah, agreed as well. Um, yeah, I guess like the easy mental mapping for me is thinking about like, like factions and and larger guilds back in WoW and their influence in sort of like the ecosystem, like how like coordinated efforts on forums to like bump additional content or rebalancing, you know, like there's all these cool things that that have been done that I, I guess I'm interested in seeing again. Like one one additional thing that I think is interesting is I think this is the really first time uh, where a lot of guilds and games have had uh, like good relationships. Like if you think about it in the past, like a lot of guilds for like EverQuest or MMOs, they were like essentially gold farmers or like gold farming associations who would like farm a lot of gold and then sell it on eBay, right? And they would be eter- in eternal war with like the gaming, with like the with like the t- terms of service, right? But then for one, like now these games and guilds are enjoying good relationships. So like I'm curious to see like how that develops further, like as they gain more political influence as well. It's an interesting topic. I mean, um, what if uh, what if a really influential guild gets upset with the game developers and they decide to all of a sudden we're all going to pull our assets out. We're going to cash out. We're going to sell everything. We're going to tank the token price and we're going to move on to another game that is more favorable to our point of view. Um, you know, of course, there needs to be liquidity to sell that stuff. But like this is a real thing that could happen. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a big issue. What you just said meant. And I think that's why um, like locking tokens or NFTs to be able to vote is uh, something very important if you want to give this voting power to guilds and token holders. Okay, awesome. Thanks a lot for your time, guys. I really enjoyed this conversation and learned a lot from you. Thank you for the time. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Yeah, great to meet all of you guys. Thanks. Bye.